Hey Trekkies and welcome to Trek Freaks, a part of Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek starting with the original series. My name is John and I'll be one of your hosts joined by my good friend and co-host Kevin. Hey, hey. How's it going, Kevin? Oh, it's going great. How about you? Good, good. What episode are we reviewing today? Today we're talking about the prolific season one, episode 22 of the original series being Space Seed. Yes, yes. That is, it's an exciting episode. We know this brings in a a good character that we see in one of the later movies right yeah i've i've got some hot takes myself on that but we'll get to that later nice everyone in the star trek world is gonna hate me because i haven't watched most of the movies so (laughs) you haven't seen the wrath of khan i don't think so maybe maybe when i was a wee little kid i mean these all came out before i was mostly before i was even born so uh i i know i've seen I know I've seen at least two of the movies. I just don't remember enough of it to really count. So, yeah, this is uh, once we get to that, I'm I'm excited to actually watch the movies. I'm kind of excited to get to the Wrath of Khan too, because okay, my hot take is I don't really care for the Wrath of Khan. I thought it was a boring movie, but it's everybody's like favorite Trek movie for the most part, really? at least of the original cast, mm. and it's definitely not mine. So, is it the '80s hair? <laughs> I mean that doesn't help. <laughs> okay, I'm a little jealous. I mean, as a bald guy, I'm like, I'll take '80s hair. I can style it differently. Uh, all right, but before we dive into our warp speed recap, I have a question for you. All right, and this question comes from uh, the Three Hours Later podcast. Uh, they asked, uh, "What other name would you have named the show other than Star Trek?" Oh, man, that is a very tough question. I'm not a very creative person. I was thinking of things like Space Quest and (laughs) Galaxy Quest. (laughs) That's the first thing that came to mind when I I thought that, too. Uh, Like Trek to the Stars or something like that. But there's no simpler way to describe what Star Trek is without those two words. Like, I think they pretty much hit the nail on the head on that one. Yeah. Trek is a weird term, though. We don't use it in regular language very much right to trek no. to like travel to you know have a difficult journey so but i was thinking still, sorry it's it's still an evocative word though nonetheless like you know what it means when you hear it even yeah. without any like prior knowledge of star trek you can know what the show's about more or less or yeah. what the point of the show is more or less without ever watching and, it and the two words go together well and once it was established now you know star trek has taken on its own meaning so you don't have to know that, you know, Trek means to travel or whatever. Right. Uh, but to me, I have two. I was thinking either uh, first contact because every episode, it seems like so far, they're making first contact with somebody, some other culture or something like that. Um, so that'd be, I don't know, good enough, usable. Um, and then oh, uh, Galactic Adventure. I was like, that's a little more of a kid show kind of title. But I think that early on might have hooked people and got people to check it out. And then, you know, once they got into it, then they're hooked. But it's it's also very Galaxy Quest sounding. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, But yeah, so if you guys have uh, any input, go on our social media. uh, Was it Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff, the geekfreakspodcast.com. And just let us know what you think would be a good different name, alternative name for star trek Uh, speaking of that i looked up while i was trying to think of an answer for this i Mm -hmm. I did a quick google search and i found some uh star trek voyager 
names before it was named Star Trek Voyager. Really? I'm going to list a couple here, but I'm going to post the rest on our Discord. So if you want to go through that, you can uh, look at our join our Discord channel, the description. Check that out. It links in there. But some of my favorites were uh, Star Trek Voyage of the Intrepid, which mm. has the word voyage in there and intrepid, which they ended up having Voyager be an intrepid class ship. I think that's where that came from. Yeah. They had uh, Star Trek The Gamma Chronicles, which was very <laughs> stupid, and I'm glad they didn't go with that. Right. Star Trek The Next Millennium. I wonder what that show would have even been. Wow. That would have been a million years in the future, right? <laughs> Instead right. of just hundreds. Yeah. Um, uh, Star Trek The Federation Chronicles. Uh, mm. That I, I, I want to know what some of these shows are. Um, there's like a whole list of 20 of them. I'm going to post them on, on our Discord later God. today. That would be cool to have like a short story, their pitch of each of these names and what the story would have been. That would yeah. be really cool. Really makes you wonder if the name made the show or if the show made the name. Yeah. Like which came first. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, because imagine, I mean, with each of those titles, they must come with a little idea of what that's going to look like. Cause, yeah, I yeah, would imagine so. Voyager, I mean, yeah, they're on a long voyage back, a long you know journey so see and i always thought that the name voyager was so convenient for that like <laughs> it, it it makes a great title of the show but they just so happened in the show to name the ship voyager while yeah. they're going on a long voyage i thought that was i've always thought that was very convenient but it makes for you know a good title for a tv show especially when it's a science vessel that's not supposed to go on long voyages right it's very kind of three or five year missions Right, something like that. Yeah, it's definitely a science and exp exploration vessel. Not, yeah. uh, it's not the Enterprise from TNG yeah. for sure. Also, the Enterprise, the name isn't an Enterprise a business. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it kind of, I don't know. It, it to me, I maybe it's because of Star Trek, but to me, the word Enterprise just makes me think of like the first or the furthest, the mm. best, maybe to some extent. Okay, yeah, but I maybe that's. Maybe that's a little bit of Trek doing that to me. <laughs> I can see that too. All right. With no further ado, let's get into the Warp Speed Recap. The Enterprise stumbles across a long lost ship from the 1990s eugenics war. They rescue Khan, the captain of the ship, as his stasis pod is failing. As Khan is recovering, he finds that he has been asleep for over 200 years. While the crew of the Enterprise is trying to learn more about him, he is learning all he can about their ship. A powerful and manipulative man, Khan is able to convince Maguire's, to, oh, sorry, MacGyver's uh, to help him take the ship. With a very well-executed plan, Khan is able to lock down the ship, and the Enterprise, and take control from engineering. He then turns off life support on the bridge and offers Kirk surrender while he waits for Kirk and his bridge crew to suffocate. When they lose consciousness, he takes the bridge and the crew. Khan attempts to recruit some of the bridge crew to join him. When they refuse, he tries a little leverage. They will watch their captain die in a vacuum chamber if they do not agree to join him. No crewman fold, however, uh, unwilling to watch, sorry, however, <laughs> unwilling to watch her captain die, uh, MacGyver asks if she can leave. Uh, acting as a double agent, she quickly saves Kirk, who then helps free Spock. Together, they pump a knockout gas through the vents throughout the ship. Khan is able to escape to engineering and arms the self-destruct sequence. Kirk finds him, and they have a well-matched fight. 
After a good struggle, Kirk bests him and deactivates the self-destruct. After the ship is uh, regained, they have a formal hearing. Kirk decides to forgive all of Khan's crimes and will drop him and his people off on a nearby habitable planet. MacGyver decides to go with Khan. The Enterprise continues on her mission. That was a damn good summary. Thank you. Thank that you. It was like everything. So comparing this versus two episodes ago, I can definitely tell at least when I give myself enough time to like do thorough notes and then write a summary <laughs> and then go through and rewrite it and li- read it a couple times. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot smoother. <laughs> it, it definitely shows. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, so what'd you think about this episode overall? I, it, it's hard to take this episode into, uh, like to think of this episode on its own without the context of the movie, the wrath of Khan, mm-hmm. because we here in, uh, 2021 nearing 2022 know that the movie from the eighties was a direct result of this episode from the sixties. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to, to take them take this episode at face value but overall i thought it was a decent episode i liked the the introduction of khan i thought he was a a good foil for kirk yeah i think that's that's the key to having a good episode that bases around captain kirk is to have a good foil for him yeah yeah i think this is overall a good episode but like you're saying like on its own it's kind of it's kind of an odd episode it's hard to compare it to the other ones that we've had that have a really you know unique story and you know this one's we we can tell it's kind of a a setup we know now at least like you're saying in the future that this was a setup for a later story they wanted to tell yeah Uh, but all right now we can go uh, scene by scene and break it down Uh, so we start on the bridge where the enterprise is encountering this ship right they found they scan it and they realize it's from the 1990s from the eugenics war uh, they find that there is one faint heartbeat on the ship. Um, they, they, they talk about what class ship it is. They said it's a DY-100 class. At first, they thought maybe it was a DY-500, but no. It's older than that. DY-100 class from the 90s. Uh, not a lot of those were made or launched. Uh, and so they assemble a boarding party to go you know, check it out and try to find that faint heartbeat. Maybe there's somebody they could rescue. So... They talked about this eugenics war in the late 90s. I don't remember that, but I must have been too young. (laughs) uh, Obviously, we didn't have that. Um, So, I want to ask you, I mean, I know a little bit about eugenics, but get your perspective. What is eugenics and what do you think a eugenics war would look like? So, eugenics is essentially trying to, it's selective breeding. It's trying to create a super human race or to try to breed a a group of people to not have any of what they perceive as negative traits in the gene pool. Um, a eugenics war, I think would be exactly what it's it'd either be exactly what this show says it is, which is people trying to fight against a superhuman race, trying to take over the planet or it'd be pockets of different superhumans battling each other. Mm-hmm. Like a whole Jedi versus Sith thing, I guess, Ooh. to bring in Star Wars for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> See, I think I like that version a lot better. Um, I, as far as I understand, there was a little bit of eugenics, or to some extent, maybe a lot of eugenics in um, World War II with you know Nazi Germany and Hitler and all that stuff, wanting to make a pure race of people, and and so I think the very sad and you know maybe what they're talking about 
the very sad version of a eugenics war would be the powerful wanting to only breed with the powerful and killing the weak and the sickly. And, you know, wars between nations that support that and nations that don't. And that'd be a terrible thing. So I'm glad we didn't have that in the 90s. That would have been tough. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have got to watch much Nickelodeon. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't be alive. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. I think my parents are <laughs> prime specimen, really. Um, all right. So they, they beam to the, to the ship, the DY100 ship. Uh, and so when they check it out, they, they see that there's people in hibernation pods. Uh, they see a bunch of, a bunch of pods, which look, you know, pretty nice, pretty good set design, I think. Uh, but I noticed that the, the tech on that ship that was 200 years old, the tech looks identical to the enterprise. It's still, like I mentioned, I think I mentioned on the last episode, their technology in the sixties was, you know, flashing lights and lots of switches. So they don't have much to go laterally to deviate or uh, make their technology look newer than some kind of old technology. That was the first thing that I noticed though, too. And it's a very odd choice to make it look more like their set that's supposed to take place in the 23rd century Mm -hmm. versus the time that it was made because like the show was made 30 years prior to when that ship was apparently made. So there's only a 30 year gap there where there's like a, a 200 year gap in between the 1990s and the, the, the 23rd century. So basically 200 years, 220 years, 250 years, whatever it is. But the, the, it'd be much closer to what technology actually looked like in the 60s. So they should have used their own time as the frame of reference and then just try to make it look a little fancier, but not look like the Enterprise, which it absolutely did look yeah. like the Enterprise. And I think just in this trek in general, they had a hard time of making their technology look futuristic. Because it's just a, I think it's a matter of creativity mixed with the limited tools they had at the time because they had light bulbs is what it was, light bulbs and switches. And they can, you know, maybe program a light through rudimentary electronics to flash on and off at a certain frequency. Uh, But I don't, I mean, they didn't have like, you know, programming where they can make panels do all kinds of LED tricks and stuff. Right. So yeah, they were, they were limited. And so to be able to take what they have and make it look future tech, I think they just, did as much as they, I mean, they, they, their stuff looks like what's on our space shuttles that were, you know, some, well, no, around that time, right? <laughs> Maybe a little, a little bit in that future, but yeah, they were just taking the best of their technology and thinking that we would advance in other ways, I guess. Yeah. But anyways, so, uh, so they find the faint heartbeat. They realize that the pod that this man is in is failing. And so Kirk breaks it open and, and, you know, pulls it out, pull, you know, slides the drawer out, gets the man out. Uh, he starts to gain consciousness because they say if the, if the pod failed, he would die uh, with him in it, at least. Uh, he starts to regain consciousness. And the first thing he asks is how long, meaning how long was he asleep? And so Kirk tells him about two centuries. Uh, so going back to the ship, though, I had to look it up online. I was uh, wondering now that this was, you know, launched in the 90s, the eugenics and stuff like that. I was wondering if this was based on like a real ship that may have been launched that wasn't you know obviously full of (laughs) full of people uh because on on wikipedia i think it was maybe memory alpha there was a a part in there where it said that so and so had the a a model of this ship on display at some uh not a museum but like a research facility and stuff 
And that, that little line got me thinking like, oh my God, this must've been real. So I Googled it for like 10 minutes trying to find something that was <laughs> evidence that this was an actual, based on an actual ship that launched. But no, <laughs> there was side-by-side -side comparisons that show like the size of it versus our shuttles and stuff. And they were all just, you know, fictional for, for the show. So I'm glad that fans make such good models and comparisons, but <laughs> it wasn't based on a real ship. I'm very glad that the the Botany Bay ship did not look like uh like the modern day shuttles that is particularly Jeff Bezos ship yeah the very the very phallic shape because I think that would have grabbed Kirk's attention and he would have been jealous he would have kept that one least. as his personal prize <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's a very Kirk thing to do yeah. though so I did when I was reading about this this ship the DY100 they wanted to some of the artists or the the art, set designers, yeah, artists. They wanted to include it in Star Trek Enterprise because that takes place before uh, the original series in the timeline. And the I think it was the producers didn't want to use it because it looked too much like a pencil. That was a hexagonal, uh, you know, shaft or body of the ship, and then it had that weird like collar thing around it. But it comes to a point, so they're like, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's kind of kind of cool or whatever. But people are gonna make fun of it because it looks too much just like a a pencil with some stuff attached. Yeah. Designing the ship from Star Trek Enterprise, the prequel, it was must have been like a, a the hardest of tasks to try to complete because you're trying to s still be a Star Trek while taking place a hundred years before the original series. Yeah. So it takes place in the 2260s, 2290s, somewhere in there, in the late 22nd century or tw 21, sorry, 2100s. Yeah. I think it's 2160s yeah. is when it takes place. So the 22nd century. And it looks, the, the ship, the interior of the ship is very reminiscent of a submarine, which mm -hmm. is something that they, they were trying to really get with that ship, but they still having the, the outer hull look like what we know of a Starfleet vessel. So that was, that must have been a very fine line to walk there. I don't, yeah, that, that that's yeah. hard. <laughs> Try, I'm yeah. glad they didn't go with this D, DY100 design though design. i'm glad they didn't do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we see some ships like this one the way it has that that ring around it that collar it's it, presumably in my mind that's so that the ship can spin and create artificial gravity so the exterior is now the floor you know and you can you can walk around um though we don't really necessarily see that they don't show that but in other episodes other star treks other ships we see that spinning to make gravity I don't know at what point that technology got kind of shut down and we got gravity plating. <laughs> oh yeah. I have, I have no idea. Okay. None whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so I'm sure the enterprise originally still had gravity plating. Uh, all right. So uh, everybody else beams back to the enterprise, the OA party and the man they find, which we later get his name is Khan. Um, but Scotty stays behind to kind of examine the ship, study it a little bit. Uh, so they guessed he's he's recovering fast. Khan is in sick bay, and the doctor's scanning him, and is like, it's unreal how fast his body is healing. Uh, he's very strong, very resilient. You know, more so than a normal human. So that's kind of playing into that whole eugenics thing. Like he must be a a superhuman bred to, you know, be strong and heal fast. Uh, but Kirk pulls MacGyver's aside because when they were on that away mission or you know boarded the ship. She got really excited uh, when they found this man, and we we see earlier that she has uh, paintings in her in her quarters of uh, medieval men and stuff like that. 
and is I want to try to not make this a sexist thing. It kind of seems like it is a little bit, but she's a history expert. She's a historian, so she you know loves to to think about and and study you know ancient cultures and stuff like that. And so she's fascinated by this guy because he is you know from history, but she's also a woman, and he's also a genetically made man who's you know most handsome breed that they can put together apparently. Uh, so I think she's smitten by him on both ends, but Kirk tries to tell her, Hey, you know, you need to cool your jets. And she's like, Oh no, my interest is, is, you know, purely scientific and professional as a historian. Uh, but so I want to ask you, do you think that that could also be dangerous if she's interested in him romantically? Obviously that's dangerous because she can be kind of manipulated. Uh, but if she's interested in him purely professionally, as a historian and wants to study him, could that not have similar implications? Yeah, I, I don't, it's definitely very dangerous for there to be a romantic, uh, attraction there. 100%, uh, purely professional. I, I don't know. I, I could see that. Um, cause so I think of like, we've seen people before in other sci-fis and stuff who want to prove their skill or kind of reach a certain, but kind of, how do you say the the doctor? I don't know his name. The doctor on Discovery right now, who is helping. Oh, what did I say right now? I'm episodes behind. <laughs> helping. <laughs> uh, uh, what's her name? The Orion Adira. chick. Yeah. No. Oh. Um, I don't know. Anyways, you see doctors who will go to extreme lengths and measures to kind of advance science, but sometimes it means you know killing some test subjects or kind of very not cool things. Wait, did you uh, say Lower Decks or Discovery? I don't remember. Discovery. Okay. Because yeah. the, Orion, the Orion girl that I th- could think of was uh, Tendi from D- Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. See, I must still be... I'm either at the last episode... No, I, I, just, I saw... The, I'm watching the first episode, I think, of the new season of Discovery. Um, but yeah, I'm still... I'm behind. And I don't remember anyone's name. I need to pay better attention. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's definitely some some sex, sexism going on in this episode, though. Like from the very get go, when uh, Kirk's like, uh, "Get me that historian, uh, McGivers or whatever her name is," mm-hmm. and Spock corrects it, corrects him. It's it's MacGyver's, and he, he he immediately just like dismisses her as if she's lesser yeah. of a person. And the only difference between MacGyver's and any other crewman who would be a historian is gender there's no way that there wasn't something sexist going on with from the very core of this episode and that bugged the shit out of me and that they turned her into this like fawning fangirl of Khan. yeah by the end of it it was just so dumb and i get it's it's a different era and stuff like that and trek is usually very forward thinking but i don't think they did a good job representing her in this in this no i agree completely but we'll, yeah, we'll kind of pick her apart a little more. Though, I mean, I think maybe they tried. They, they didn't, they weren't too, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> there's not a lot of saving it, but. Uh, okay, so Khan starts to wake up. He sees that there's a knife. There's like a display of, you know, ancient, <laughs> ancient uh, yeah. medical tools, a scalpel. So he grabs that and he lays back in bed, pretends to sleep. Uh, Bones comes and checks on him and he grabs Bones by the neck and, and holds the scalpel to his neck and kind of holds him hostage. Uh, but Bones doesn't, doesn't play that game. Doesn't take to be in hostage. He says, you know, <laughs> if you want, you, if you want to kill me, you need to aim for the carotid artery right, right below the left ear. So, left ear, or right yeah. ear. I think that was pretty yeah. funny. 
Yeah, that was that was great. That's we already know that Bones doesn't take any shit from anybody, and yeah. th- this is fantastic. It was just a, even this superior human being who's like five times as strong as an, the average human and stuff. It's like, yeah, just if you're gonna kill me, just do it efficiently. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's great. And I, I believe- also, th- good. The display case that that uh, knife was in that looked like some kind of like what a Klingon would hold their batleth on or something. Right. It looked like it was how like that felt background to it and stuff. It didn't look like any kind of sanitary doctor's equipment. It looked like a display of something like ceremonial or something. Yeah. I don't know what it was doing there. Yeah. I mean, I imagine because these are old tools. We didn't see this before, I don't think. But I imagine this is just like, you know, a display of relics of historical, you know, medical devices that's fair yeah maybe put it behind glass i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah no doubt you do get people that are mentally unhealthy as well so yeah uh so he wakes up holds him hostage uh he ends up releasing bones when he realizes he's not going to play his games and demands to speak to his captain he has some questions so bones calls kirk kirk comes down um and they kirk uh con is asking kirk questions but not giving anything so Kirk is answering a few questions and then asks Khan, you know, what his ship was doing there and all this stuff. And Khan just plays, oh, I'm, I'm too tired. All he gives him is his name, really. Uh, but so he also asks if he can have a little bit of light reading while he's in the medical bay. So he wants to read their technical manuals for the ship because he was an engineer. You know, he's got to get caught up to the modern lingo and stuff. And so Kirk allows it. He's, oh, yeah, anybody who's, who's our you know, patient has access to, to read our files. Which it just seems insane to me. I don't think in any modern day military, if you say, hey, can I just kind of casually browse at the specs of a, a tank, they're going to let you do that? Or artillery launchers? Like, what? They're, they're fighter jets? No, they don't let people just casually read technical documents for military equipment, right? Right, exactly. There's there's a video game called World of war tanks or world of tanks or war of tanks something like that it's a it's a really dumb looking tank based uh game that's supposed to be a tank simulator and there have been people that have been like arrested for actually having plans for real life tanks that they're not that are supposed to be classified and putting them as like a mod in the or like a community addition into the game i wish i had like the article pulled up because i just now thought of this but uh yeah, that is definitely not a thing that people do. Just let people get away with reading technical specs of a military anything. Yeah, and that's dangerous right there. I mean, putting putting technical specs of a tank of some some military might be U.S. or whatever, posting it on the internet to a game where all these people like this game where you jump in a tank and blow people up. Like, so if anybody lives near a military base that has those tanks, now they could take those specs and figure out how to break into one and control it and effectively go around and wreak havoc. Right. And that's the same thing that's happened. I, I don't know why Kirk wouldn't have even thought of this because maybe it's just our pessimistic minds or something like that. But that's the first <laughs> thing that I thought of, even if it wasn't Khan, if it was any other character that I didn't know, I'd be like, no, you don't want to give this, this person who you don't know technical specs for the ship, yeah. especially when they're a, a superhuman. Yeah. I would even think within Starfleet, you would have to have certain clearance to read the tech. I mean, you have to be an engineering security officers shouldn't know how, you know, to disarm the warp core, right. Activate the self-destruct or whatever. Like, it just doesn't seem like they would all have the same access. Yeah. That's insane. But it was a plot point that needed to happen. So that 
things could happen later. Yeah. Uh, so Spock digs up old records and finds that Khan, he thinks Khan and his his group are part of this, you know, group of 80 supermen, they call them, these, you know, eugenics, super strong people uh, that were lost after the eugenics war. Uh, so then we move on to a MacGyver's visit where I I don't like the whole MacGyver's story in this. I really wish they just completely cut it, but I understand it. it's to paint out Khan as such a terrible person and how manipulative he is and, and all that stuff. To not frame him as a powerful leader that's just misinterpreted. No, he's a douchebag. Uh, so... Um, she goes to, to ask him about a ship, just ask him some questions, get to know him. She's a history major and all that stuff. Uh, he tells her that her hair is unattractive, the way she carries her hair. So right away, kind of bringing down her, her value and making her feel bad about herself. And he's very handsy, touches her, grabs her arm, stands too close to her, all this very douchebag backup, you know, things that we recognize now is not okay. Uh, but then he later, uh, you know, he lets down her hair and says, oh, that, that looks, that looks better now. Uh, he later goes and visits her at her quarters, uh, and he's admiring her art and stuff like that. Still speaking down to her, treating her kind of like a dog, but a dog that he wants to keep around. Uh, and then he kisses her a little too aggressively. Uh, but we do see that she kind of pulls him in as well. So you see that she, she kind of wants this, but I don't think she wants to be treated, you know, treated like a dog. It was still very uncomfortable and would not have happened to that same degree in a Star Trek t- episode produced yeah. today. Yeah, they would. I mean, and you can have misogyny and make it totally uh, transparent, I guess, and, and not to where. Yeah, and not OK. Make it clear that you don't encourage that kind of act. But right. uh, do you think at that point where she, she does kind of pull him in, do you think she's interested in him still? Like she actually, you know, likes him or his this powerful kind of commanding, demanding, strong demeanor is making her intimidated already to where she feels like she has to either embrace him or she's going to, you know, lose or fall apart. No, no I think they, they kind of did a decent job of showing that she was interested in him as well with the, the kiss. Like normally if she's not, there wouldn't be any movement of the hands and they've really focused the camera on her hands, grabbing his shoulders. And I think that was, their way of saying this isn't forced that it's amicable and it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. So I still, I think though she's interested in him, she's interested at like a level three or whatever. He's not interested at all, but he knows he can manipulate her. So he pulls her in at like a 10. Hey, you're all or nothing. Either if you, if you're interested in me, you know, you're mine now or you're garbage and you can go out of an airlock. I don't care about you. And that kind of, that's that's just mind games that are very commonly used by manipulators, and it's sad to see how effective it is on her. Yeah, and it's it's to the core of who these superhuman people are are at their core. Like mm-hmm. that's the whole point. That's what came from the eugenics wars. Was people that are more. Uh, it's, it goes back to Spider Man with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and I think there's a line similar to that in this episode. I can't remember off the top of my head, but. It's yeah. it's very it's something very close to that. Yeah. So okay, so after this we see they have a little welcome dinner for Khan. Uh it was actually uh MacGyver's idea to have a little dinner to let everybody know he's welcome and his people and talk about what they're gonna do and get to know him a little bit, whatever. Um so Khan claims that 
their voyage was for adventure. Kirk is asking them questions. Hey, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you guys out in space? And 200 years is a long time. Uh, he says they're there for adventure, but then Spock uh, kind of seems to be at, like picking at him, attacking his ideology and, uh, you know, the eugenics and all that stuff. And he obviously feels it. Uh, then Kirk notes that Khan tends to speak in military terms and that this is, you know, a social occasion. But I like this line from Khan. He says, it has been said that social occasions are only warfare concealed. I was like, dang, that's, I mean, that's not super profound, but it's kind of well-worded. It's a bleak outlook on life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That when you're just, kept, but we see that with, you know, middle-aged housewives and stuff too, like, or, or big brother, that kind of stuff, like people play a lot of social games where they will put on a smile and pretend to get along with somebody, but it's really to kind of get the upper hand on them later or something. Right. Uh, and it's all, it's all uh, the manipulator's handbook. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think this is, I mean, obviously foreshadowing of what's going on in the, the episode, because as they're being cordial and, and whatnot, he's studying their ship and learning how to control their people. And he's already at war he's got plans but you know to them at least on the surface he's just a a victim that's you know seeking medical assistance and stuff so it's very very manipulative Mm -hmm. Uh, so they go back to Khan's quarters MacGyver's uh, comes over to apologize for how dinner went because because Khan stormed off upset with the questioning oh no he he excused himself early thing he's fatigued again fatigued yeah but it was obvious that he was Getting upset with the questioning and stuff. You know, I want to do that sometime when I'm just really pissed with somebody and I want to do it repeatedly like Han was doing. Just be like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you answered all my questions, but now I'm tired. So I'm going to get. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, use, like, does that a, work? You got to use like an old English accent. Oh, I'm growing weary. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm quite tired now. <laughs> <laughs> I need you all to leave. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah, they're in his quarters. She's apologizing about how it went. He's putting his hands on her. He's again just very disturbing how he how he acts. Uh, she says no, which was great on her end to kind of push back and you know before the kiss was kind of going a million miles a second already. And so she kind of recognizes like no no we need to take this slow. If you know if you're interested in me, I'm interested in you, but we're not going to be making babies today. Like cool your jets. Set a boundary there. Exactly. Um, which is especially with her being so kind of infatuated and early on manipulation, you know, it was surprising that she had that, that will to, to push back. Yeah. I was going to say that same, the strong willpower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then he pushes her away aggressively and like, you know, practically almost throws her, um, and tells her to stay or go, but to only do it because that's what she wants to do very passionately. And again, very manipulatively. Cause it's that, that's that all or nothing mentality. She's interested in this guy and he's cute and everything and he, and he wants her so passionately. She's like, she'll, he'll take her now. But if she shows any resistance and doesn't do exactly what he says, then she's garbage and she must go and, you know, I don't care about you. I don't want to see you anymore. And it's just, it's sad to see how effective that is. And I hope, hope the people listening can like, you know, I, I, I'm no uh, psychology major or nothing like that. I've studied very little, but, you know, you can easily see this kind of stuff when you analyze it from outside of a scenario. So... When you meet these people in your real life, hopefully watching Star Trek <laughs> helped you uh, recognize this kind of manipulative behavior so you don't become victim to it. Um, but when she decides to stay, he tells her she must now ask permission to stay. Uh, she asks nicely, almost begging to stay, and he takes her in by her hand. 
But then he pulls her closer and he squeezes her hand real tight, uh, intimidating her. Uh, and then he tells her that he's going to be taking the ship and he wants her help. When she resists, again, he throws her away, telling her to leave. Uh, she, gro- she, she grovels and uh, says she'll do anything that he wants, anything to help him. Uh, she does ask, before she gets thrown away, she, she says, well, nobody's going to get hurt, right? And that's when he says, like, oh, you question me and, and throws her. And, yeah, so she's still, she's like, yeah, I, I'll, I can help you. You know, I want to help your people find, you know, a, a safe place to go is probably her, her nice, good person mindset. Uh, but I don't want you to hurt my people. You know, we could take the ship, get to a M-class planet. You guys unload and we carry on our mission. Like that's, you know, feasible, but he wants a whole lot more than that. He put on a master class of manipulation there. Yeah. Like that whole scene was just, and I don't even think he was like specifically trying to manipulate her. That's just how he is. Yeah. This guy is like all or nothing. He's uh, only a Sith deals in absolutes to make another Star Wars reference, <laughs> right. but he he is the he epitomizes the what's wrong with the rich and powerful. Yeah, essentially is that you're you're with me or you're against me. Yeah. And we see this with people that have wealth or people that have power that not all the time, but in most cases that they want to cling on to that power. Mm-hmm. And if whoever is with them isn't with them all the way they're not with them at all yeah and and that was just what khan's character is we see that in most wars that dictators or rulers will give you an all or nothing either you're with me and you're willing to go cut off your neighbor's head or mm-hmm. you're against me and you're the one who's losing your head it's it's one or the other and it's it's crazy but it scares people and controls them by fear so i think that's how they ended up being able to make a movie based on with this character yeah. was because he so the way they wrote him so well epitomizes the, the 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 powerful dictator the 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 rich man the strong man the mm-hmm. bmoc the big man on campus yeah and it's it's just an easy way for people to get invested against him yeah so i even have in my notes that this power of manipulation is clearly out of the dictator's gene pool so i, I, I don't know i imagine, i guess apparently in in this the eugenics they kind of wanted that quality in a leader or in a perfect person is to be controlling and demanding and you know get what they want but they do kind of hint somewhere in the episode that that only works when you have you know just one or a small group of dictators because they don't play well with each other (laughs) right they're great and powerful and strong and can take the world but when there's 20 of them then now you have another world war with all these dictators just at each other's neck so I was thinking that at the end of the episode is how are you going to start a civilization with 80 cons? 80. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's, it doesn't make sense. You (laughs) you would think the other ones would be genetically predisposed to be followers. And one would be, you know, one and maybe his second in command would be genetically leaders, but right. Too uh, many cooks in the kitchen. (laughs) Too many chiefs and not enough Indians. (laughs) All right. So then they carry on to the briefing room. We see the senior staff is, is reviewing, uh, the history records about Mr. Khan and they do find that he was a dictator back in the nineties, the eugenics war who controlled one fourth of the earth. Uh, so if you were a captain at this point, you know, he hasn't been seeing the stuff that's going on with MacGyver. So we have to assume, you know, obviously he doesn't know that, but at this point, what would you do with Khan? Um, arrest him, throw him in the brig. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's a warlord. Uh, yeah. Who is, escaped and is now 200 years in the future and is obviously a threat yeah 
So I'm thinking the same thing. Like you've got to lock him down. So they, they do lock him in quarters, but that's not enough. This guy is no. extremely dangerous. I mean, maybe you kind of give, give yourselves the benefit of the doubt and the fact that uh, your technology is so much more advanced than he's used to. He's a fish out of water. Maybe just keeping him in a room you think is safe, but he's already studying your technical documents. And I think they just underestimate his superior intellect that he has evolved. You know, even he, he tries to say that he's evolved beyond them, but uh, well, they post one security guy outside his door. Yeah. And this happens all the time in Star Trek where you see guards like right next to the door or on either side of the door. If you're trying to guard people from getting out of the room, wouldn't you want to stand across from the door yeah. so you can like have a gun ready to point at them if right. they're going to escape or uh, inside I, the quarters, one inside, one outside or something. But yeah, or two inside and two outside, yeah. especially since he's, you know, got the strength of five humans that they said. So yeah, five normal people just beam him to the brig. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's put him behind a force field. He shouldn't be able to use the common tools that are in his quarters anyways. So yeah, that was a little like, Especially, he ruled one-fourth of the Earth. Like, he's obviously very manipulative. You know, you don't have to have much physical strength to rule people, but you do have to have the strength of word to be able to convince them to follow you. So, most right. of, I think a lot of the risk is having him around your crew, like MacGyver's we see. Uh, so, anyway, so then uh, Kirk does, like, an interview with Khan, tries to kind of gauge his plan or his mental state, what he's thinking. Because he has been in stasis for 200 years you know maybe he doesn't know uh, how well he comes out of stasis maybe maybe this was to start a whole new life and kind of leave behind his dictator dreams i don't know <laughs> kirk wants to kind of gauge where he's at um but he he pretty much lets it know lets khan know that he knows who he is and khan makes it clear that that he's superior to kirk and all of his people he's actually amazed that humanity hasn't evolved more so over the 200 years that he's been asleep. Um, so Kirk leaves him under guard, but he quickly breaks out. We see, you know, he pulls open the door and then he like side punches this guy. Did you see though how insane that punch was? This guy does like a backflip. Like I give props to that actor, really. I mean, that was a good hit to take or good flip to act. That's something that's common in a pro wrestling nowadays is that when somebody gets like a lariat or a clothesline, they'll flip over or sometimes they'll add a little extra flair to the end of that to really put over how strong the guy hitting them is. Right. And yeah, that was a good touch on this. I like that. That's got to be hard to do. I, I mean, these stunt actors, they must be like obviously trained in, in right. how to do flips. Uh, so MacGyver's takes over the transporter room by phaser, uh, holds, you know, holds a phaser to the transporter operator and he backs to the door. Khan comes in and he does his own version of like a Vulcan nerve pinch. Do you notice that? It was like, yeah. like maybe behind the ears or somewhere on the sides of his head. He grabbed this guy and just kind of laid him down to sleep. Hopefully to sleep. I, I don't know, I'd hate to think that his Vulcan nerve pinch kills everybody he touches. Right. Uh, so, yeah, we see that uh, even in TNG, Data is able to do the same thing because he has more strength than a regular human mm. is that he's able to do the Vulcan nerve pinch. But he does it like where Spock does it, unlike Khan, who kind of is like more behind the neck yeah. area. Maybe it was, So maybe he did kill him. Maybe he was putting pressure on the carotid artery now that I think Could about it. Because I know oh, like, that would have been a good callback, too. Right. Because, <laughs> well, you know, uh, pro wrestlers, too, they, they put someone in a chokehold, they could put them to sleep by by cutting off blood flow to the brain at the carotid artery right, right. Uh, so i don't know maybe it's that but if you do that for too long 
somebody will die or have brain damage. So yeah, <laughs> if you're playing around with that, please be careful. Don't listen to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, I got a story from a long time ago. It's, it's dangerous stuff. Um, so yeah, they took over the transporter room. We don't see much detail. They won't, we don't see him beam over or whatever, but we do see him later on his ship and all of his people are awake. A little hole that I see right there is it took him a while to come out of his like, coma or his, uh, stasis. And yet when he gets to a ship, all his guys, you know, he, he wakes him up. It seems like within an hour or something like that, because security was alerted that they broke out and and took you know took the transporter room and stuff so he doesn't have a lot of time yet somehow he very quickly gets his 80 people out of their pods and they're all dressed and ready to go to war pretty much now to be fair we saw i think six of them or so he could have just woke up those six and then like sent them out to wake up the others yeah but i i thought that actually thought the exact same thing that you did i was like yeah that's awful fast for this to happen but The plot sometimes moves faster than it should or slower than it should in Star Trek. That's just the way it goes. So I just didn't really care too much. Yeah. The only thing I could think is that his pod was failing. So maybe he was undergoing some kind of, you know, physical danger, damage or harm uh, when he was coming out incorrectly from his stasis. But right. When yeah. he goes to a ship, he knows his technology and everyone else's pod is, is working right. So maybe it was just a matter of hit a few buttons and, you know, a, a two minute thaw cycle or something like that. And then they're. Back to consciousness. That's a good point, too. Yeah. yeah effective technology. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah. Then so, so at that point, they, they move to take over the ship, right? Uh, Kirk and Spock are on the bridge, and they find that, that everything is jammed. They're, they've got the security <laughs> alert. <laughs> they got the security alert that uh, the Khan had broken out of his quarters. And so Kirk tries to go into the, get into the turbo lift, and it won't open. And Spock tries to... to what was it? Lock off the area and that didn't work. Nothing was working for them. And so, yeah. I love that, that you actually used the word jammed in here because I noticed they everything was jammed. That's yeah. what they said. The turbo lift was jammed. The calm lines were jammed. Everything was jammed. They didn't use any other word except yeah. for jammed. Well, think of their technology at the time, right? They have very little computer technology, so they don't know, you know, electronics and um, programming terminology. Right. But to them, they know machinery where you stick a gear in the wrong spot or stick a wrench in, in between the gears and it gets physically jammed. So. I'm just thinking of Spaceballs, the scene <laughs> where they sent the giant jar of jam. Yes, exactly. It's like they jammed our radar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. I forget about that. Um, so um, what kills me is the Enterprise should have learned they did not learn from was it O'Reilly who locked out the entire ship from Enterprise from, from engineering. Right. He literally did the same thing. I mean, like I don't know, twelve episodes ago or something like that. He was uh, influenced by that that drug, and he was going loopy, and he just locked up engineering, and the ship was going to crash. So, <laughs> yep. Khan pretty much did the same thing. Took over complete control of the ship from engineering. Um. And I'm starting to think that instead of just technical specs, that that, that was actually a mission log and that uh, instead of just learning how the ship worked, Khan read how somebody else took over the ship and did exactly that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. It was smart. Is that easy at least? Yeah. So at this point, he, he turns off life support to the bridge and he's communicating with them and telling Kirk like, hey, you know, you guys should just go ahead and surrender now. I'll, I'll be gentle. I'm going to take your ship. 
but you know, life support's off, you're gonna all suffocate. But Kirk doesn't want to surrender, so they literally do all at least pass out from oxygen deprivation. Uh, so then at that point, uh, well, we, we see a captain's log, but then at that point, uh, Khan takes over the bridge. Uh, we don't see right away where Kirk is, but he has all of the other bridge crew kind of lined up in chairs and he's trying to recruit them. He's trying to get, cause he, I mean, to some extent, his people don't know how to work this technology, right? So he's going to need somebody to navigate the stars and pilot their ship and help get them to a planet that they can conquer pretty much. Um, so nobody wants to join him. He even like Ohora, they, uh, he tells Ohora to activate the view screen and she says no, resists. And sure enough, one of the guys smacks her real hard. Uh, she still doesn't turn it on, but MacGyver steps up to defend her, which was cool. Finally, MacGyver's is at least not completely terrible. Uh, not, not completely under his control, I should say. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. It's, it's hard to differentiate the two sometimes when the, yeah. she's, yeah. she's a victim, but she's a victim that was willing to be taken victim to some extent. But once you're under his control, it's like you can't, I don't know. It's, it's a hard, hard line to, to walk. I can't yeah. completely blame her for sure. Uh, but so she stood up for Ahura. I, I didn't see who actually activated the view screen, but I think after MacGyver stood up for her, Ahura did activate it herself. No, I, I don't think anybody did. It just happened. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't know who in story actually did it. it, it we could just guess that it was Ahura, but yeah, because that's what I noticed. It seemed like, well, okay, he said it again, activate the view screen, and it turned on. But yeah, yeah we don't really see her go push a button or nothing, but. I'd, Maybe it was another button underneath Jettison Pod on someone's chair. Oh yeah, the unlabeled. <laughs> it was unlabeled button number four. Yeah, that had to be what it is. <laughs> you just got to remember that one. That's that's a tricky one. View <laughs> screen or Jettison Pod side by side. <laughs> on screen. Oh no, I jettisoned the pod. He's dead <laughs> <Right>. again. <laughs> oh no, I. They, what do you call it? Launched the uh, warp core. <laughs> Jettison the warp core. That was button number five. Right. <laughs> it's like damn tape doesn't <laughs> stick anymore. <laughs> Somebody switched the labels on me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, so when she activated the view screen, uh, we see that Khan has Kirk in a vacuum chamber, and he's you know vacuuming it out. He's slowly gonna die, and everyone's gonna watch him. So he's using this to compel them to join him, you know, and and stay on the ship and be compliant, or else they're gonna kill their captain. Nobody goes along with it. Uh, and Bones even tells him, he he's explains what he wants. He wants them to uh, help assist them in locating a habitable planet where the locals can be led by him or by his people. And Bones right away turns around and says, uh, you mean uh, you can, uh, people you can conquer? And, you know, using a starship, that would be exceptionally easy or something like that. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, yeah, we know he's not going to just, like, lead them peacefully. He's going to take over, like, yeah, you know, like the Spaniards did for so many years and stuff like that. All these, everybody does it. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so nobody nobody agrees to help him, and they're watching Kirk, you know, effectively die. His oxygen's going down. He's under a vacuum chamber. Um, MacGyver's asked if she has to watch this because she's you know disturbed seeing her captain die or whatever. And so Khan says, "Well, he he says something like, I, I'd hoped you'd be stronger than that, but uh, but no, like you you don't have to stay.'" So she leaves, very fortunately, she hurry up and runs over to the captain, she she deactivates the view screen from a console somewhere, presumably, and then runs in there, uh, she tricks one of the guys, gives him a sedative, the guard gives him a sedative or whatever, and then frees the captain, so 
just in the nick of time. He was about to die from from losing oxygen. What uh, was the point of having that chamber in the med bay? That, in sick bay. That's a good question. I don't know. Is there some kind of medical research that you do? Uh, there's a sickness you get from from uh, rapid decompression. Maybe they have to put them under a vacuum chamber if they're exposed to the space of atmosphere to bring them slowly oh, back. Yeah, as I say, if they're if they're um, exposed to the, yeah the vacuum of space, that that would make sense. Yeah. To, okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. They can beam them, <laughs> hopefully beam them directly into that and slowly pod, and then like yeah, okay, uh, okay. You're welcome. I'm I don't James. know why it's <laughs> I don't know why it's in sick bay. It seems like a weird spot for it. Yeah, but. you'd think maybe it'd be like an access hatch because they use a what do you call it where they uh an airlock an airlock there you go yeah that would be a kind of a normal airlock thing but i don't know the odd spot for it and we've never seen it before i doubt we ever see it yeah again. no yeah I, I was gonna say the same thing it's just there for this one scene yeah but so i want to ask you do you think do you think Khan really does need some of the enterprise crew to stick around to operate the ship and why i would think not um i Right. I, I'm thinking that in the episode, it were made to believe that he does and that he's supposed to that he does need them. But in my mind, it's more like he's trying to manipulate these people into following him. Yeah. And it's it's something that they are doing by their own choice mm-hmm. to follow in order to save Kirk. And it's him just being that master manipulator through and through. Yeah. So I like to see that these other crewmen aren't as easily manipulated as MacGyver's was and we understand she was a history major interested in him and infatuated by his, you know, looks and all that good stuff. But, uh, so she was more susceptible, but it's good to see that the other crewmen are a little stronger to resist his will. And as fast as he learned how to control the ship or take over the ship is, Oh yeah. He could have trained his other 80 crewmen. Yeah, his 80 crew other crewmen could read the manuals just as fast as he did. They're all the same yep. genetically, right? At, presumably. I imagine you don't need 80 people to run a spaceship like you can do a skeleton crew. Yeah. Like we saw that at least in orbit on the the planet where the court martial episode mm-hmm. that they only needed a couple of people in engineering to get them out of a decaying orbit if that happens. So, yeah, true. yeah it, it, I, I, in my mind now that he, he's just being the ma- master manipulator yeah. and just manipulating them into following him. I like it. So as soon as MacGyver's gets um, Kirk out of the vacuum chamber. The Khan thinks that Kirk is already dead, even though they lost the video feed. He sends a guard with Spock. He's going to put Spock in there next and just keep going one by one until they're all dead, presumably. Uh, But when the guard and Spock get there, Kirk and Spock take the guy out. Uh, Then they work together to flood the the ship with uh, knockout gas. I don't remember. They said a specific gas. I can't remember. Um, I think they said knockout gas, didn't they? Oh, maybe. Or something like that. I was thinking it was the stuff that doctors use, but I can't remember the name of it. But not laughing uh, gas. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, so they, they flood all of the ship except for the Brit, the deck they were on, I think. But Khan, uh, once he sees the gas, quickly runs out of the room, and he's able to like block the gas flow to engineering. So he runs to engineering. He quickly activates the um, self-destruct. And and then Kirk, you know, follows him into catches up with him in the engineering. He as soon as Kirk walks in, I don't know, you'd think they would learn this kind of stuff too. Kirk is very good at disarming somebody, but he walks in, phaser first, and Khan hides around a corner and, you know, knocks him knocks the phaser out of his hand or whatever, gets or no, grabs his hand, takes the phaser out because he's stronger. Um so it was just kinda like, come on, Kirk, you know better than that. But 
Khan also looked very like childlike when he was hiding behind that corner, yeah. like almost peeking his head out a little bit. Like he was like, oh, I'm being naughty. Hide and seek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the vibe I got from his posture and his facial expression in that scene. Yeah. So when he snatches the phaser out of Kirk's hand, he sits there and bends it, like breaks it in his hands. Do you, what do you think about that? Do you think that was a good idea? Do you think the scene even looked good? What do you think? I don't think it looked good. It probably did by 60s standards. Yeah. I think this episode was 1967, 68, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it probably looked decent back then, but obviously it's plastic. It's not metal like it's we're meant to think it is. Yeah. And it's very easy to see in the remaster, just like something else coming up right away. That's very easy to see in the remaster that I'll let you get to. But so I, I, I realize now I don't think it was um, a, I don't think it was plastic. I think it was rubber or like silicone or something like that because we see him bend it and it stays in his hand. He doesn't like throw it on the ground and you see a twisted gun like that would have been a little cool visual to see it all twisted mm-hmm. up and he drops it, but it would just like stay in his hand like, ha, look at what I did. But yeah. I, I, and why not use the gun? I mean, you have it in your hand, just shoot Kirk and the story's over, but, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I know he needs to carry on and he is arrogant and he, he believes he is five times as strong as Kirk is. So I think he would rather you know, fight him hand to hand and, you know, be the conqueror that he wants to be. The man who defeated the Gorn. I must take him down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Khan had engaged himself to struck. He tells the captain at this point that he did. Uh, the two men fight pretty evenly matched. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, and this, this is probably what you're talking about, the remastered. You could see so clearly, and maybe old TVs were just blurrier. You could see that the, that, the guy that's fighting in most of the scene is not Kirk at all. It's a stunt double for sure. Very different face, similar uniform, and maybe hair color, uh, but he looks totally different. It's just funny. Like, scene, you see him in at least two, two shots. Uh, I was going to say, this is like the third or fourth episode that I've noticed a clear stunt double for Kirk's hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. Like, it, they don't hide it in the remaster <laughs> whatsoever, and they really should because people are watching this, you know, on... 1080p 4k uh and higher screen 8k screens and stuff and they can see every pixel clearly yeah i don't know how you would hide that though i mean would you just cgi over his face because that's going to cost them a lot more money than they're probably investing in the remasters yeah that's fair but if they want to remaster it they yeah. should remaster it not like re-apprentice it trying to think of something less than a remaster <laughs> re-journey man <laughs> yeah exactly yeah uh, so Kirk, uh, Kirk grabs this part that he's able to slide. It's a knob on a console, but he's able to slide out, slide it out. It ends up being like a long rod, a long like pipe, pretty much. Uh, it looked like a hand pump from like a soap container. Is yeah. what it looked like to me. The end of it was like a slotted key, so you could assume that it turns some mechanism inside the panel. But it was odd. But he used this long white stick to beat uh, beat Con with, and somehow like that was enough. It was kind of odd to me that that was all it took con took the the gun out of his hand the phaser out of his hand uh so you think he could do the same thing with with uh with this rod but apparently not so kirk got the best of him and goes in and deactivates the uh self-destruct sequence uh so i would have liked to see like a a a small scene like it doesn't have to be much just a couple clips or something like that where the doctor is walking from person to person, waking them up because he they they put the knockout gas through the whole ship. So you think if they just wait for everyone to wake up, 
the good and the bad are going to wake up together side by side. So it would have been great to see just a short clip where the doctor's injecting everyone in their shoulder to wake up the crew. And then maybe a security officer is detaining or dragging, you know, one of Khan's men so they could go put them in a cell or something until things can be sorted out. But we didn't see anything like that. Yeah, just a little. It was finishing up the end of an episode really quickly. It's what they do. They got past the last commercial break. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay, so then they jump to a hearing where Kirk drops all charges. What the hell is going on? Why would you drop all charges? This was, this was insane. He just took your ship and almost killed you. You were uh, just a blip away from dead. And, and presumably he was going to kill your entire crew and destroy the Enterprise, which to you is the only thing that matters. And yeah, so I don't get why he would clear all charges. That just seems insane. The entirety of Kirk's motivations in this episode are very unclear to me. Like, he doesn't know who Khan is at first, even though just 200 years ago, he controlled a quarter of the planet. Yeah. Do you think in 150 years from now, if someone says their name is Adolf, but they don't give a last name, and he, <laughs> you're not going to know who that guy is? Yeah. I mean, even in 150 years, the guy did some really horrible things, and is very prolific in history you would think Khan would be that same like if they found him in history and knows they know that he controlled a quarter of the planet mm-hmm. it's, it's it's a hard thing to forget even with 200 years going by and they do say that the, there's a, not a lot of records of what happened in the eugenics war that it's that history is kind of fuzzy at that time but, but they had they gave him his name like he said Khan they filled out the rest of his name saying Khan Noonien Singh yeah like that the which is also a weird name because they give uh, the guy that created data. His name is like uh, Noonien Sung or something like that. Oh, really? It's, 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 it's really, yeah. I'll get <laughs> that later, but <laughs> so yeah, the whole motivation behind uh, that. And then the, not, not knowing who Khan was and then just dropping all charges yeah. because he wants them to be able to live the life that they want to live, even though it's obvious that they shouldn't be able to. Yeah. This is definitely something that needs to go up to like the top brass in Starfleet and be somebody else's problem. But they, you know, put these guys in a penal colony or something like that or do they effectively something. escaped from a penal colony. Yeah. That's what that ship was, was like a penal ship. Yeah. So they're obviously prisoners, even if it's out of time, they're still prisoners and should still be treated as such. I agree completely. It's that's horse horse hockey. Like Jeff Bezos. Horse hockey. It was a penal ship. <laughs> nice. uh, so but so yeah he he drops all charges and, and agrees to uh drop them off at a nearby planet they're going to be passing um and spock says it would be uh, interesting to return uh to that world in 100 years to learn uh what crop had sprung from the seed you'd planted today which is what gives us the name of the episode space seed but I didn't even think I didn't even put that together. Yeah. I really didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I and yeah, obviously in, in the future movie we see what happens, but and in, in uh lower decks. But I just I still I, I don't get why he would forgive them and give them everything they want, give them this planet to tame. I understand the planet does not have uh people on it supposedly, or presumably. I say that word a lot now, I guess. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh they they say it's a very kind of wild like jungle like planet and so these guys are going to need to tame it and i do like that he references milton uh is like you know do, are you familiar with the, the the readings of milton or something like that 
and Kirk like understands he's like oh you know I I know what you mean or something like that. Later he explains that Milton uh, refers to a, a saying or a part of his book where it says it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. Uh, I guess that's when when Hades or you know the devil was being kicked out of heaven and fell fell to hell. But anyways. So, yeah, he'd rather be king of a wild jungle planet than to be prisoner on a Federation space station or something. Uh, so, yeah, that was pretty, pretty intense. That was the end of the episode and Enterprise carries on their mission. Oh, and MacGyver's goes with them. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't he, mention that. And Khan's like, strong woman. <laughs> <laughs> like me, Tarzan, you, Jane is what I got from that. And do you think that do you think the Enterprise should allow that? Do you think Kurt? No. No, right? Yeah, no, probably not. She, she's, no. I mean, until she's had a period of separation and ability to regain her senses, right now, even sitting next to him to ask her while they're sitting together is, is uh, you know, a conflict. Like, she's under his manipulation and, and intimidation, so she's going to follow him, you know, wherever he goes, if she's allowed to. And to them, she made the choice, but clearly she was manipulated through and through yeah. and shouldn't be able to make that choice without like you were saying some degree of separation yeah i would say you know go drop off his people and then check her out see if she really is interested in returning then she can be the federation ambassador on that planet or something like that and still have ties with both sides uh, right. keep open communication so that we don't find out that they you know built a huge society and they're ready for war but but also answer for her crimes throughout the episode as well of uh you know, holding a guy at phaser point and uh, yeah, true. <laughs> helping them beam over to the botany bay and stuff. Yeah. yeah. A lot. That was, that's kind of crazy. Oh, cause that was, that was the alternative, right? She could either go with them or face a court martial. Right. So yeah. it's like, ah, uh, that's, that's kind of tempting then. I don't know, but yeah, not, not cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what did you rate this episode? So I like the episode. It's just there's a lot of convenient writing. There's a lot of plot holes and a lot of decisions that the characters made that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Overall, it was a good episode. It leads to uh, a lot of people's favorite Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm going to give it a B. Okay. I was a little higher plus, than that. A B plus. Sorry, B plus. I'm going to give it a B plus. Okay, good. B plus. Nice. Uh, I gave it an A minus. I like that the episode is pretty fast paced. Some of them we've seen recently are just a little slow, but this one really moved along pretty good. Uh, Action-packed, has an interesting plot, uh, but it did have a little bit of a disappointing end. The fact that he decides to go put him on the planet, that was like, but, you know, we should, we should see a public hanging. Come on. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that got dark. No, I know. That was too bad. But, you know, he, he just completely, I feel like he undermined Federation rules or, you know, regulations. By just letting this guy get off scot-free was what it seemed like. At least, you know, monitor the situation from a distance or something. But yep, anyway, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a little odd. Did you find... So, I couldn't, I couldn't find a very good moral or message. I know we talked a little bit about it, too. But did you find any other kind of moral or message of the story? To me, it just seemed like it was that with great power comes great responsibility. But they don't really learn that lesson in this episode. Right. It's, it's like it's told mm -hmm. and we're... I inferred it, but it wasn't, it, it's not a heavy handed moral like yeah. Star Trek is known for. Yeah. So no, I didn't really get a clear message from this one. Yeah. Except uh, manipulating people is wrong and don't do it. Yeah. So the, the only other thing I could really kind of put into a moral was that like eugenics and, you know, like we've talked before, 
breeding a perfect person or, you know, it's not possible. There's no perfection in humanity. People are ever changing and growing and evolving. So it's kind of, it's fluid. Um, that was the moral of the, uh, of last week's episode of the, yeah. the Landrew one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and this, I mean, similarly, um, that as they, they try to make someone genetically perfect, they have that flaw of, of wanting to, how did he, he said it in the episode. I can't word it right now. <laughs> um, that they, they didn't see that this would also increase their desires, their, um, ambition, ambition. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the more powerful you make someone, the more ambitious they are. So yeah, they're, they're all great leaders, but now you have 80 conquerors on one ship. You have 80 people that just want to take everything they can. And that's not what you want in a good leader. Not what you want for a healthy society. So, you know, perfection will never truly be perfection. There's no, there's no such thing in, in humanity. Right. It takes a village. Yeah. There <laughs> like it, there's always different people that have different skills and that different, uh, different pockets of information about or education on different topics. And you, you need it. Yeah. You need people to be different than one another yeah. or diversity. Life doesn't. Yeah. You need the diversity or it stays stagnant. That's just how yeah. people work. And if you don't bend, you break. So if, if uh, people stay identical, they're, they're going to fall apart. They st- they're, it's not going to, mm-hmm. not going to grow. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this was a good episode. Uh, thank you all for joining us. If you liked what you heard, uh, please subscribe. Don't forget to check us out on the geekfreakspodcast.com. Also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and a little bit on TikTok. Uh, send us your questions. If you guys have any questions you want us to read at the top of the episode or just general questions about, you know, how we do what we do, uh, feel free to send, us to, send them to us. <laughs> uh, and join us next week for season one, episode 23, a Taste of Armageddon. Ooh, I like the name of that episode already. I can't wait. Yeah. But until then, transporter room, two to beam up. Yeah.